Hey, welcome, welcome to Unapologetically Black Unicorns. And we have a very special guest and waiting to talk to this particular person. And uh, the person's name is Dr. Harrison. And all y'all know, I do not do bios, introductions, because I might get it wrong and not say the important thing about the person. So I'm going to let Dr. Harrison introduce herself. Thank you, Karis. And of course, appreciate the respect on the doctor, but we're amongst friends here. So please call me Nzinga. Um, great to be talking to your audience. So I'm Dr. Nzinga Harrison. I am co-founder and chief medical officer of Eleanor Health where we practice whole person, harm reduction, trauma-informed care grounded in equity for people affected by addictive disorders. I'm a physician, but board specialties are psychiatry and addiction medicine. And to your point, the most important things about me um, that I do with my life are as a wife and mother of two teenage sons. Awesome. Awesome. That's so great to hear that the wife and mother part are as important, and probably not more important than the other part, right? That's right. The <laughs> <Yeah>. most. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so um, I should say that this is September, and September is Recovery Month. It's Suicide Prevention Awareness Month. So this is a great time to be having this conversation about addiction medicine. And you use some really key words, trauma-informed and harm reduction and you know, I have a pretty savvy audience, but sometimes, you know, people will join in and this is brand new information. So can you define some of those terms? Yeah, sure. So I'll actually start with, um, we call this our core four at Eleanor, first being equity, which is um, an equal, equitable right to be healthy. And that includes not just access to medical care, but also addressing the social inequities that um, disproportionately affect the health of marginalized communities. And then harm reduction, people tend to think of it as Narcan and syringe exchange, which is true, but it's really a social justice movement that is grounded in the autonomy and rights of people who use drugs. The main principles of harm reduction are that we don't underappreciate the abject harms that can be associated with drug use, but we do appreciate the value and humanity and right to decision-making for people who use drugs. And so we seek to reduce the harm of drug use by empowering them with education and support and connection um, to make their decisions for themselves. And then trauma-informed care, most people have heard about this. And when we talk about trauma-informed care at Eleanor, we're really thinking about that broadly to also include the trauma of racism, oppression, marginalization, discrimination that so many communities experience and the impact of those experiences on our health. And so you know, we think about the four R's of trauma-informed care, which is realizing how widespread trauma is, especially when you bring in the trauma of discrimination, marginalization, recognizing what those signs and symptoms look like. So often, you know, we're like, that patient is difficult, or that person doesn't want to get well, or why is that person using drugs? And all of these can be what the signs and symptoms of trauma look like. And then responding 
by fully integrating that knowledge into our policies, procedures, and practices. And like one thing that is so important is recognizing that trauma is ubiquitous. So it is not just the people we're serving. It is also our team members, our people who are doing the serving that we need to be trauma-informed for. Um, and then finally, actively seeking to resist re-traumatizing folks. And so it is unreal the amount of medical trauma that patients, I'll use that word, human beings in the healthcare system period experience, but especially that people with substance use disorders have experienced. And so we're trying to build our system to not be actively re-traumatizing folks as they're coming to us for support and healing. So, wow, I'm going to say this is snaps, claps, thumbs up, all the things that (laughs) I do. I do snaps, claps, thumbs up, all the things when I am like, I want to say mind blown, blown away. I'm not mind blown, blown away, but I am because it's very rare that um, I hear people talk about trauma-informed care and trauma in the three R's that includes racism. Mm-hmm. We know it exists, but it somehow exists over there. And that's a different conversation right. to have right. versus kind of like, how do we have it within this frame so that it's not like, oh, we're going to do that over there for those people like over there versus yeah. no, this is what we're going to do holistically with everyone when when we put it in this frame. So we have to think about it intentionally in the frame. Love it. Yeah, yeah no, it's exactly right. And I mean, you know, the the weathering research tells us that being exposed to racism is in itself an independent predictor for health disparities, premature death, premature birth, stroke, cancer, HIV, you name it, right? Like racism itself prematurely predicts mortality and morbidity. And so coming into Eleanor, you know, when you get hired to join the Eleanor community as one of our team members, one of our onboarding trainings is cultural oppression, recovery, and racism. And we start that out with a trigger warning that is like, we recognize even this conversation can trigger the trauma of experiences that people have had with racism, that people have had with discrimination because they use drugs and develop addiction, that people have had because they're a member of the LGBTQ community. And so we start that conversation very upfront with the one, two, three, which is like number one, first and foremost is safety, psychological safety, physical safety. And so we're like, we're about to have a hard conversation in this training. You've only been in Eleanor for one week. How do we create a sense of safety around this conversation? Because we have to be able to do that for each other, for us to be able to do that for our community members that we're serving. And then after safety is grounding and physiological regulation, right? Like one of the ways I try to convince people that racism is trauma is to show a video. And it's a video and it's just a black screen. And it is the names of the over 200 unarmed black people that were killed by police in the one year following George Floyd's murder. So not even till now, just like in the one year from anniversary day to anniversary day, 
and it's just a black screen and the names come up one by one in white with a clicking sound. Mm. And that's how fast the names are going. And it still takes a full two minutes to get every mm. single one of those people we lost on the screen. And by the end of that, people become intolerant to that clicking sound. And I say, you know why? That physiological reaction you're having, that is a trauma response. Your heart is racing. Your breath feels short. You're tense. You might have sweat. You might feel like you're about to cry. You might have a lump in your throat. Your stomach might feel crazy, queasy. All of those are direct lines to the physiological burden of racism and the impact that has on our health. And this is why we have to allow time for that physiological grounding, right? Like we have to let that come down after we've created safety so that we can then jump into the action of a conversation about how we try to do it differently for our team members and for our community members at Eleanor Health. And I mean, we don't, we don't have it all figured out. Trust me, like we have a lot of work to do, but what we say at Eleanor is like the only thing that is not acceptable is not trying. So yep. how do we have the conversation when someone microaggresses? Mm -hmm. How do yeah. we empower your voice to be able to speak up? How do we not, how do we prevent that loop? where like, was it me? Is it really important? Why am I having this reaction? Right? Like how, how do we do that work together in a way that is safe? Yeah. And I love how you were saying, you know, it's like, oh, you've been here a week. Welcome. And then you kind of go <laughs> right up into it. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> hello. Step into this door while we go do some really hard work. But um, <laughs> yet it's so important because you're modeling that vulnerability right from the very beginning. And you're not leaving it to guesswork of kind of reading out of a book. And if you experience stigma or discrimination or microaggression, please talk to HR. But what, right. <laughs> right. Because talking to HR is scary, right? Like that's yeah. a that's a big power dynamic yeah. to scale. Yeah. And like I said, we're we're figuring that out um kind of as yeah. we go because we're trying to do it differently. But I think that's what our team members appreciate. And I think the the people who join our community for care, I think that's what they appreciate. It's like nobody ever asked me how my experiences with discrimination affect my mm. health, even though I know it do, I know it does, yeah. right? Yeah. Even just having the freedom to even talk about that is healing. Right. And I suppose if you can talk about it within sort of your space as an employee, as a, as a person who's working, it makes it far more easier to think about it and ask the question for somebody that you're providing services to. That's the hope. Also, you use the word recovery in there. So let's go to recovery month just for a half a second. Well, we can go there all month long, all year long. I don't believe uh -huh. recovery month is a month. It happens all the time. But around substance use recovery, this is when I've you know, been doing more, how do I call it? I would say organized work in the recovery communities, both mental health and substance use. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's kind of like, where are the people of color? I where I know they're recovering. They got to be up in here somewhere. Like, where are they? Right. And some somehow, and, and in some ways, um, I think we're doing much better, but we can continue to improve is ensuring that how we talk about recovery and the recovery process from the vantage point, I'll, I'll say particularly black and brown people. Um, sometimes I feel like it isn't 
not that it isn't happening. The conversation is not happening. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like this broad conversation about recovery and how does it happen when we're talking about sort of black and brown communities and how does it happen for both mental health and substance use because recovery month really now is a substance use sort of thing. So I don't know, what are your, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I think there is no divorcing substance use from mental health. So just from a medical perspective, substance use disorders are mental health conditions that arise in the brain from the same neurobiological pathways as depression and anxiety, like period, that's just medical. Mm-hmm. From a human being perspective, show me one person with a substance use disorder who is not struggling mentally and emotionally, mm-hmm. right? Like the yeah. overlap, whether whether you meet diagnostic DSM-5 criteria for whatever or whatnot, addiction truly is defined by a cognitive, emotional, interpersonal, physical struggle. Yeah. And so this false dichotomy, this false separation of substance use disorder and mental health is really one of the ways that we're failing people, period. The funding streams are separate. It's a failure. The treatment programs are separate. It's a failure. And what else is a failure is not just separating mental health from substance use disorder, which I have already established is a trash move, but separating physical health trash, separating cultural and spiritual well-being, trash. Human beings walk through the door as human beings with all of those pieces right there. And when a person is vulnerable and struggling and in need of support, should you have to ask them to navigate 10 different social systems, healthcare systems, physical health care system, mental health system, substance use disorder system. We wonder why people are dying. Yeah, exactly. It is, it is structural. It yeah. is structural. It is systemic. And it is because artificially we have created systems that can't actually take care of a person who walks in the door. Right, right. Is that how you got interested in, in whole health? And um... yes. Okay. All right. So let's go there because I'm all up into the whole health situation because it is very hard to figure out. I always say there isn't one system because, you know, our human body is systems, like several, you know, all of these all up in here, like, right. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yes, I said up in here, I did say that. So, (laughs) um, so I always think of, well, wait, what, which door am I supposed to go in? Because I might not know where the actual genesis is or where the actual target is. So if I go in the physical health, they may tell, oh, no, that's mental health. You got to go over there. Well, yeah, no, that's specialty over there. And it's kind of like, wait, what? I'm really not feeling well. Why are you making me go 20,000 different places and have to wait in line for each one? So it really doesn't work. Exactly. Exactly. And then each of the pieces can't communicate, right? Like what if our heart actually couldn't communicate with our lungs, actually couldn't communicate with our brains? We couldn't live. Yeah, we couldn't yeah. live. And so I think, um, and I'm not saying this is easy, but, uh, and I'm not saying that every support provider, and I use the word support rather than healthcare on purpose, has to be an expert in everything. So no, I can't ask my primary care doctor to also put your stint in your heart, right? Mm. Like, no, mm. I can't ask that. 
I can't ask your cardiologist to also remove your colon cancer. <laughs> no. Yeah. No, no, no. I cannot ask this. What I can ask is that the systems be able to work together behind the scenes. And like when we when we talk about our core four at Eleanor Health, so I mentioned equity, harm reduction, trauma, and fourth form care. Our fourth is teamwork, which is our moniker, moniker for collaborative care. But the way we define the team is not the Eleanor Health team. It's not Eleanor Health plus your primary care doctor plus your cardiologist. It is whoever in your personal and professional life is contributing to your definition of health, right? And so Mm -hmm. starting with the comments you made about recovery, where the black and brown people, I saw this beautiful post over the weekend Um, That was like, as we go into National Recovery Month, I was overwhelmed by like overdoses being at the highest ever, suicide being at the highest ever. And then this person who was making the post, I don't know who they are, happened to meet these two Native American elders who were doing a cultural ritual around identity. Mm -hmm. And this person was like, this was the most healing thing that I could have experienced during National Recovery Month. And that was not about drug use. And that was not about depression. And that was not about anxiety. That was about community, culture, and identity. Right. And so when we don't see ourselves in the recovery campaigns, when we don't see our cultural traditions, when we don't see our community rituals, then it makes it feel like recovery is not for black and brown people or that there is no concept of recovery for black and brown people. And it's not the case. It's not the case, right? And so we do have to do a better job of making our recovery rituals visible. That's what this podcast is primarily about, is to be able to bring in the voices of you know, people of color, black, brown people, native folk, Latinx folks like LGBTQ, you know, like you name it, right? Um, mm-hmm. To be able to talk about, you know, the work that we do, our recovery journeys, so that there's a there's a point where people can go, but I've never met anybody. Oh, listen to episode 63 of, you exactly. know, Unapologetically Black Unicorn. That's exactly how this started is somebody yes, said, I love it. somebody um, asked me to introduce them to uh, more people of color who were particularly Black uh, people who were living a life of recovery from a mental health condition. They heard me speak somewhere and they were like, I knew your name, but I never knew you were Black. And I was like, okay, that's kind of funny because I knew your name and I didn't know you were Black either. But anyway. <laughs> Yeah, just don't know. You got to see the person's face. You just did. Yeah. So, um, so I started introducing um, them to people and then realized as I was saying, well, did you know, do you know so-and-so? And do you know so? No, I don't know them. And then I'd ask so-and-so, well, I, you know, I introduced them to so-and-so. Do you know any other? Well, wait, who's that? I'm like, wait, you don't know that person? So I was like, okay, wait, I can't keep doing like, I am mm-hmm. not sort of, I'm not, I'm not the maven of connection. I am, but that would just take forever. So I said, let me just capture people's stories and let me talk to them about what they're doing. And um, if people say, well, I don't have an example of, okay, episode one, seven, five, nine, there you go. Your examples. There you like, go. I don't yeah. have a speaker who all the episodes just go. Okay. <laughs> 
A-L-L. Yes. All the episodes. All the episodes. So um, that was really one of the purposes because for me, you know, even for me um, back in the day, I didn't see people who look like me and I didn't believe recovery was possible because Mm -hmm. a lot of us were in the audience. None of us were on stage. Right. You know, and And I thought it sends a message. It does. It does. So now I want to switch back to enough about me. Let's talk about Eleanor Health. What is Eleanor Health? Yeah, we are. um, We just founded the company. So like I mentioned, I'm co-founder along with our CEO, who is Corbin Petro. Um, We just founded the company in May of 2019. And our mission is to help people affected by addiction live amazing lives. And the the remainder of that sentence, though it doesn't hit the mission, is as defined by them. So that's that social justice movement for harm reduction, right? From a business model perspective, we provide population health and value-based care to people with substance use disorder. And so we believe that this fee-for-service infrastructure we have drives health inequity. Because if you don't have, then you can't get access. And when we look at what fee-for-service pays for, fee-for-service pays for a doctor's visit, a nurse practitioner visit, a visit with a therapist, and often that's it. What about connection to resources? What about addressing social drivers of health? What about often fee-for-service in a substance use disorder program doesn't pay for any physical health care? What about managing my diabetes? What about wrapping around the rest of my support system? What about that cultural and identity recovery that we mm-hmm. talked about? Um, the funding streams are not braided. So what about my depression and my anxiety and the trauma that I've experienced, right? And so Mm -hmm. we knew to really provide a whole person care model that we would have to break out of fee-for-service infrastructure. And so our belief is you shouldn't be able to make money if the people you're taking care of are not getting better. Mm -hmm. And so we put our fees at risk for our population-based outcomes. If the people Mm -hmm. we're working with are not getting better, we will give money back. And so that aligns the financial incentive with the human incentive to get better. The people that we're taking care of, the people who are doing the caring want people to get better. And it means we have a different set of priorities. So whereas you know, fee-for-service priority is fill all of the appointments. Yes. Value-based priority is invest in the relationship. Whereas fee-for-service priority is kick those people out of care that can't make it to their appointments because they don't come to the appointment, you don't get revenue. Population and value-based strategy is find out why people can't come and go the extra mile to help them resolve those barriers so they can get to us. Whether those barriers are physical, psychological, or trauma-based, I'll tell you a story. We have um, a community member who is missing appointments. And so the team's going the extra mile to figure out what the barriers are and specifically missing therapy appointments, keeping other appointments. And it was that um, the first time he had ever had therapy had uncovered some significant childhood trauma. 
Mm-hmm. And so being able to understand his not, literally his not being able to come to therapy appointments, because it was like, why is it only the therapy appointments that this person is no showing for? Being able to understand that through a trauma-informed lens. But when you're in fee-for-service, you just fill that appointment mm-hmm. with the next person, right? If you can't mm-hmm. make it to appointments, you're quote-unquote not ready for recovery. When really, when really that is, I need someone to invest even more in this relationship with me to help us understand what's happening. Yeah. And so I, I bled the business model into the clinical model there, but it really is one that is hinged in compassion and longitudinal relationship. And so we know that substance use disorders, other mental health conditions are not acute episodes, like they're not earaches, they're not sore throats. And so the same way we don't expect a person with diabetes to have their five-day hospitalization and then good luck living, we don't Mm. expect that from our people either. And so Mm. we use technology, we use people, we drive the relationship, we try to empower our people, we try to work on undoing the trauma of the discrimination they face purely because they've had addiction or a mental health condition layer on all of the other demographic discrimination and racism on top of that. And we seek to be in a long-term relationship. So Mm -hmm. intense when you need us, fall back when you don't, but you know, we're here. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. And that's so needed. And so the model though is um, because I'm trying to also understand there's, there's venture capitalists and is there venture capitalism? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. It's, what? yeah. What? So I always <laughs> yeah. tell the story. So interesting. So I spent my whole career taking care of the most marginalized communities. So severe substance use disorder, serious, persistent mental health conditions, schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, criminal justice involvement, homelessness, Um, really significant physical health needs. And so like that is where I have spent my entire career here at Eleanor Health is the same. This company, Oxion, Venture Studio and Town Hall Ventures, they are venture funds, venture capitalist funds. So they are looking for businesses to invest in. They are also creating businesses. These two teams, these two companies work very closely together and their mission which that was a new concept to me, like the concept of mission and venture capital, right? Mm. Their mission is to drive value-based healthcare. And so as the opioid crisis was getting all of that media publicity, they looked around to see if there was any opioid use disorder treatment company that was providing value-based care in a meaningful way. And they did not find one. And so they said, this is kind of how it happens. You have an idea. You test the idea to see if people would pay for that idea. If you made it a company, they found that, yes, people would. And so then their playbook then is to find a founding executive team to turn the idea into a company. And so they went on the search and they found Corbin, who is our co-founder and CEO, um, who is like a value-based care payment models guru. She helped to write parts of the Affordable Care Act in Louisiana with Senator Landrew. She was chief operating officer of Medicaid in Massachusetts, like bomb.com, right? Mm -hmm. Then they found me um, to design the care model. And my very first comment was, 
any company that thinks they can take care of only opioid use disorder can't take care of people. Mm. This was this was during my first screening call, right? Wow. And they were well, like, tell us you're more. Screening. Yeah, yeah, you're screening and they're screening, right? Yeah. Yeah. And they said, tell us more. And I was like, people walk in the door with all the things. And a care model has to be longitudinal and it has to ebb and flow with people and it has to be rooted in relationship and we have to practice harm reduction and we have to take care of all substance use disorders and all of the associated mental health conditions. We have to connect them for their physical health care. And if we're not talking about culture and identity and social drives and health, and they were like, okay. And then Corbin and I became the co-founders and then we created Eleanor to be what it is today. And so the reason you use venture capital is so that you can invest in innovation. You can invest mm. in doing it differently than the system has ever done it. Because remember what I told you, we had to cut the ties on fee for service. Well, that's how addictions care is paid for. And so the first investment helped us serve people without having to worry about margin. We could just take care of people and prove that this kind of model could work and get outcomes. Mm -hmm. And then you prove that you can actually do this model bigger at scale. So the next investment is helping you grow the business. And then ultimately the goal for all venture capital backed businesses is to become self-sustaining. Like we're well on that path to become self-sustaining, but you take that venture capital money to really be able to invest in innovation in a way that existing companies don't have the opportunity to. And so what I saw was, I had been for 20 years in serving under-resourced communities in under-resourced systems, trying to innovate mm. and do things differently within the constraint of no resources. And so this was an opportunity to actually have mission-dedicated resources to design something different. And it's been remarkable. It's wow. been remarkable, like the people we're taking care of. I, I don't even like to say the people we're taking care of, the people who have invited us to be on their journey with them, mm -hmm. right? Like that give us the honor of investing mm -hmm. in that relationship. Like our outcomes speak for themselves. And, you know, we take care of people who are currently using. And yep. guess what? Lot, lives are still getting better. Yes. Yeah. Wow. That's really this, this idea of, because it's almost like we're always, you know, banging our heads against the wall, but you said it's under-resourced communities trying to fix problems that are in systems that are also under-resourced. Good luck right. to you on being overly resourced. It's not going to happen, right? Logically, exactly. it's just not going to happen. So you do exactly. have to look at a completely different model. Wow, that's just... Okay, mind blown. So um, as we wrap up, I want to thank you first for sharing all of this information. I mean, um, the humanity of it all, you know, it's so um, based on how humans exist, people exist in the world. We don't exist out of community. We don't exist. It's just, I just, I don't want to repeat what you said, but repeating what you no, said, because it's amazing. Repeat it. Please repeat <laughs> yes, it, because yes. that's exactly, that's exactly why we, you know, you have to, when you start a company from scratch, you have to decide everything. And one of the things we had to decide were, what are we going to call the people that come to us? We knew we weren't going to call them patients. 
too narrow, conceptualizes people too narrow. We didn't want to call them consumers because consumers just is not warm, mm. right? We knew we wanted something that conveyed relationship and connection. And so that's why we landed on community member because mm -hmm. we believe to really be part of driving health for people, you have to be building community. So right. I love that you said it again. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. So as we wrap up, and I should tell people how I, did I get introduced to you? I know I was listening to your podcast and and then it, yes, I was listening to your podcast and got, yeah, okay. So long Kana, story short, it? was it Kana? It was Kana that put us Okay, together. Kana, we just uh, invoked your name. You're next. Um, Community and relationship. <laughs> that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. That's right. That's right. So, you know, what I ask people to do as we're wrapping up is to do what I call wisdom dropping. Now, you've been dropping wisdom all over the place. I've been giving you thumbs up, claps, snaps, the whole nine yards. But now you have this opportunity to leave people with that sort of one nugget. They're all nuggets, but what one nugget would you like to leave people with? The one nugget I'll say in, in honor of National Recovery Month is that there are an infinite number of paths to addiction and mental health conditions. And so by definition, there are an infinite number of paths to recovery and your path is your path. I think every single one of those paths includes connection and relationship. And so if you don't feel like you're on your path, just keep searching for your path because there is a path for you and there is a connection that will illuminate that path for you. I love it. I love it. All right. We're going to help people find that path because it's out there. We're going to help people connect because connections are out there. People matter. And I just want to thank you so, so much for spending time with me today. Thank you, Karis. I loved this. I loved it so much. Thanks for having me. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thank you. And for our listeners, y'all know what to do. Well, I don't know if you know what to do, but I'm going to tell you what to do. You're going to subscribe. Why? Because when you subscribe, then other people can get access to these lovely, lovely episodes. You're going to comment because I don't know. I'm very interested in what y'all are thinking, and I'm sure our um, guests are and other listeners are as well. And then you're going to share because this is just fantastic information we want to share far and wide. So thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, tune in next week to Unapologetically Black Unicorns. <laughs>